and for casino gambling. I'm not a proponent for it. I, I'm, I've listened to a lot of debates and discussions over the last several years. It's one of those things that, to me, I just don't think it fits in with Georgia's values right now. For me, when I look at where we need to be, I don't want to put another gamble into our society. The question, you can remain standing because we're going to start with you on this one. The question of school security, school safety, uh, what to do about it uh, in, in the face of so many tragedies in different places. Well, for me, Tim, this is where uh, I'm, I'm proud of what uh, Brian Kemp has, has said he wants to do to help with our public safety in our schools. For me, I, I worked hard to help pass the, the legislation to give school systems around the state an option on how they want to set up their own security and whether I heard earlier in your discussion with another candidate forum, well, should we allow for staff or faculty to carry a, a firearm? To me, that's a decision that should be made by each and every local school district in the state. Which There's is what the law says now, correct? That is what the law says, and that's why we push to give them that option. For me, I, I think that uh, as we look at schools, said they, uh, there's a, a problem that we have that we, we put up these gun-free zones just like in here tonight. When I walked in the building, I saw a sign that said, no firearms allowed. Well, you know, I don't know if everybody in here has a gun or doesn't have a gun. But for me, that's one of the things, if somebody were to pull out a gun, who's going to stop them? Sheriff, I know you would. I appreciate you being here. Said the, uh, and I hope you have a, a firearm on you. Said the, uh, because I know the sheriff is trained in how to use it. Said the, uh, for me, I've, I've been on the police academy board here in Athens. I support our law enforcement. I support folks like Sheriff Edwards and the job he does. Don Johnson, the question of school security. Well, I was a deputy sheriff. Where? Uh, Where were you a deputy Richmond sheriff? In Richmond and Columbia County. That was my actual first adult job. I've been involved in shootings, and I can tell you they happen quickly. They happen in close quarters, and people are generally not prepared for them. What you don't realize is, and if you would like to attest to this, a lot of police miss a lot of the time. When you have adrenaline pumping and you are trained to do it, and it requires thousands of hours of training to make it muscle memory so you don't freeze in a situation. You know about your backstop, you know who's coming in to help, and you don't accidentally shoot people you don't mean to. When they have done active shooter trainings in schools with teachers with paintball guns, they more often than not shot other teachers, other students, and the law enforcement responding. So I am not comfortable with people who have trained to teach kids having to make the decision to take kids' lives in an instant in a situation that they are not trained to do. So it would make schools less safe by having people who aren't as familiar with firearms handling them in places that aren't meant for firearms. And you can make schools safer by increasing school security, by increasing the number of school resource officers, by increasing the amount of mental health counseling that students get so that kids early on can be identified as having behavioral issues. And a lot of times it's through isolation. And if teachers are trained to spot an isolated child or a child that is displaying mental health issues, you can intervene before they become a shooter. Right. And Senator, again, I think you wanted to re uh, rebuttal on that. Thank you, Tim. It if we could do a playback on that, said you'd find out that uh, I said it's up to a school district to decide on faculty and staff. 
one of the things that when we look around, I look visit a lot of different school systems. Said so the, uh, uh, you know, if a school board decides, hey, we want to do this, said so they uh, they could set the parameters on how much training an individual receives. I will tell you that that I have been to a lot of schools where they have off-duty police officers that are working. Said so they're individuals that that are teaching in our schools that have come out of the law enforcement community. I would never be a proponent for sending somebody that's untrained or unqualified to carry a firearm in a school situation. Said, but I do want to have somebody that's there to react on that spur of the moment. All right, uh, staying on that subject of guns, the guns and education, uh, let's move to higher education and the campus carry legislation. Uh, Senator, again, correct me if I'm wrong, I may be, but my memory is you voted for it and may have been the only member of the local legislative delegation to vote for it. Don Johnson, where would you have been on that? Um, well, one, because the citizens didn't want it, I would have voted no. But second, the staff didn't want it at the school, the faculty didn't want it, other students didn't want it. We've had numerous guns, I think we're up to three or four now, left unattended, laying on a bench, left in a weight room by people who are carrying guns because guess what? They're also the same kids that we had to pass a rule that they can't cook roadkill outside their frat house. You know, they may not always have the best judgment. And when you put in youth with alcohol and close quarters, you are asking for problems. But, you know, we go to school to teach kids. We should not be talking about guns and education as if they are intertwined. They have never been in our history. Why are they now? Kids should be free to go to school without fear of being shot in their seat or being shot by an angry classmate. I have talked to students who were afraid to walk out on the National Walkout Day because they said so many students are armed. They are literally in fear on their own campus of their fellow classmates. And that is not the environment that we want to foster in schools, and that's not why people go to school. If you want to carry guns all day long, join law enforcement. They are happy to have you. Senator Ginn, uh, your answer to the question of campus carry legislation, and then we'll get to closing statements. Uh, campus carry, you voted for it. I did vote for it. And I'll tell you that most of the people that I know that have a carry permit or weapons carry permit are the most law-abiding citizens in Georgia said they, uh, in order to carry a firearm on campus, you've got to uh, apply, go through a background check, be sworn to by your probate judge in each county to get a weapons carry permit. To me, that's a great step. I also look at me and, you know, I'm a pretty good sized guy. I'm, I, I stepped on some scales the, uh, uh, down at a renewable power plant I visited today in Barnesville. Quite honestly, that, that uh, I'm about 250 pounds and I'm about a little over six feet tall. He said, when I look at some of the, the folks that are here, you can't defend yourself against somebody my size or bigger. When we dealt with that legislation at the Capitol, there was a shooting on the Georgia State campus. It was against the law to have a gun on a college campus at the time. You can't tell me that people are following the law when there's a shooting on campus. With that in mind, said, I want for the law-abiding citizen to be able to defend themselves and to be able to protect themselves from whatever size or whatever person or persons may be coming at them. I'm going to do all I can to protect your safety and your security 
And that's for the frail as well as, as the, the big guys like me. All right, uh, remain standing, big guy. And uh, we'll get to your closing statement. And as we do these closing statements, I see Houston Gaines, and I think I've seen Representative Gonzalez here. If you could begin to make your way down to my right as soon as they go off left uh, as they end their closing statements, we'll get you guys up on the stage and ready to go. Uh, Senator Gaines, 90 seconds for a closing statement. Thank you very much, Tim. I want to thank both Chambers of Commerce and, and the hospital for hosting us out tonight. For me, it's a great honor to get to serve you. Said they, uh, when I look at where we're at in society, we're not going to agree on every subject and every matter. But I can promise you this. Over the last eight years, you have a voice at the Capitol. Said you can contact me day or night. Said they, uh, I try to make myself available. When I look at where we're at in our area, said they, uh, we're doing a heck of a lot better than we were eight years ago. Our unemployment rate went from about 13, 14% here in Athens, down to, to almost 3% here in Athens. We start looking at what's going on. We work together as a team. I work with both Republicans and Democrats. I work with, with the House and the Senate and our governor said they, uh, to make Georgia better. I want to continue to do that. I want to ask for your vote and your support. I do also want to thank my wife and my mother-in-law for being here tonight. You know, it's great to have good support at home, and I couldn't do this without help from uh, the, the family, it is one of those things that for me, I'm proud to serve as your senator and I'll ask for your, your vote. Please let me know how I can help you. Thank you, Senator Frank. Again, Don Johnson. Georgia has a lot of serious issues. And the first step to solving those issues is acknowledging we actually have those issues. And we haven't been acknowledging our health care crisis, our income crisis, you know, we're underemployed at 17%. So are you making more now than you made before the recession? Do you have more disposable income now than you had before the recession? Your health care cost what you used to pay in a mortgage. Your mortgage costs more than you've ever paid. Your car insurance is now what your car payment used to be. Your car payment's what your rent used to be. And your cell phone bill is on par with your car payment. And yet our wages have stayed flat for 20 years. It is time to worry more about your street than Wall Street. We need to worry about more how you can make your bills and not, you know, are we permitting, having government overreach? It is not overreach for the government to keep its citizens safe. It is not overreach to keep people healthy. We have a position in Georgia where we could be one of the most prosperous states in the country. We have resources and industries that nobody else has. But that opportunity isn't filtering down to the citizens of this state. In this district, kids have a 26% chance of ever moving out of the income bracket they were born into. For kids in poverty, that's a death sentence. If we want the American way, there has to be a middle class and there has to be a way for people to get there. Thank you, Don Johnson. Uh, Abby, back at the station, if you'll play that legal ID for us now. This is 98.7 FM and AM 1340, WGAU, and W254-CJ Athens, a Cox Media Group station. And we are back again at Piedmont Athens Regional Medical Center. Uh, what we have going on right at this moment is a stage change. We've just heard from so State cool. Senator Frank Gannis, Democratic challenger uh, Don Johnson, uh, welcoming to the stage now Democratic State Representative Deborah Gonzalez, her Republican challenger, Houston Gaines, as we sit here today just inside of four weeks away from Election Day. To recap the format for the evening, each of these candidates will have 90 seconds for an opening statement. 
uh, will then ask questions. They will have 90 seconds to answer those questions, and there will be an opportunity for rebuttal if they choose to avail themselves of it. Uh, with that, a reminder to keep your eye on the timekeeper, David Bradley, down front. Houston Gaines has the challenger. Uh, your opening statement for the evening. Great. And do you want a standing note? As you wish. Okay. <laughs> Well, thank you, Tim, and thank you, David. Thank you, Courtney. Thank you to the Clark and Oconee Chambers for having us. It's certainly great to be at Piedmont Athens Regional. Thanks for hosting us. For those of you I haven't had the opportunity to meet, I'm Houston Gaines, proud third-generation Athenian. I live and work here in town, and I'm running for State House because I believe we deserve better. And I believe this district is a special and unique place, and it deserves a strong leader who will go to the state capitol and really make a difference and fight for our priorities. In particular, my priorities will be focused on economic development, education, and public safety. I'll fight to lower our state income tax below 5% because that's something uh, that I think will help our businesses continue to make Georgia the number one state in which to do business, support our small businesses, expand educational opportunities K through 12, our technical colleges, and traditional four-year universities. And I'll partner with law enforcement to keep our community safe. I'm proud to have the support of law enforcement officers and the sheriffs in this district uh, because they know I'll always support them. By the end of this forum, I think uh, we'll all realize that um, me and my opponent, we, we come from vastly different political uh, ideologies. Uh, and the only thing we basically agree on is that we disagree on almost everything. Um, and, and in fact, uh, she considers herself and has said she's one of the eight most progressive members of the General Assembly and even called herself a left-wing nut. Um, and so we certainly do agree on that. Uh, but I think that's where our, where, our, uh, dis where, our, where our agreements end. And so by the end of this forum, I think elections are ultimately about choices. And I hope to earn your choice by the end of, uh, by the end of uh, this, this election cycle. Thank you so much for being here. All right, Houston Gaines. Uh, Representative Deborah Gonzalez, 90 seconds for an opening statement. Good evening. First of all, I'd like to thank... How if I just pick it up like this? It doesn't work. Let me again. Matter. Let me again emphasize that I should have done this. The microphones are for the uh, benefit of the radio audience, not the folks in here. So you need to speak up for them. Okay. So we're going to try this one more time. <laughs> Good evening, Athens. <laughs> <laughs> I am so glad to be here amongst you. I want to thank everyone who worked so hard to put this forum together. This is actually the third one that I've been honored to be part of. It's getting a little tiring in a way, but it's one of the things that we need so much in order for us to have a successful democracy, the opportunity for voters to actually hear from their elected officials and candidates who are working to then represent them. Most of you know I am an army brat. My father served for over 30 years in the military, twice in Vietnam, and is a victim of Agent Orange. My mother has always worked since I was a child, and I myself have worked since I was 14. I worked all through law school. I was a single mother raising two daughters while I worked full time and did go to law school at the same time, and I was able to achieve those goals one step at a time. I was fortunate enough that I won a special election by a pretty high margin in this district, that I am proud to have that support in going forward. We had an incredible first legislative session, considering that I had never intended to be in politics before, but I find that this is not something that I do as a step in a political career, but actually something that I do as a people's representative to make sure that the things that are affecting the people in our district are taken care of in the Capitol. Thank you. All right.
Uh, Houston Gaines. Houston Gaines, Republican Houston Gaines, you referenced uh, economic development in your opening statement. An audience member wants to know, what specifically are your plans, and we'll get the same uh, question to Representative Gonzalez, what specifically are your plans to improve our local economy? Sure. Well, I, I did mention at the onset, I do think lowering our state income tax below 5% would certainly uh, help both individuals and businesses expand and create more opportunities for individuals. Um, and, and certainly getting government out of the way is one of the main things that we need to do at the state level and, and at the federal level. Um, and we're seeing the success of that uh, right now. Um, and, and so certainly those are two major components. But more than anything, it's workforce development, ensuring that we have a skilled and ready workforce um, for the industries that we, that we want to attract and that we have. Um, and whether that's working with Athens Tech, Lanier Tech, uh, which are two great technical colleges within the district, the University of Georgia, uh, we have such a unique opportunity. We have 30,000 uh, soon to be in the soon to be in the uh, uh, employees um, that that we can use, and, and there's so many so many unique uh, aspects of this district in comparison to the rest of the state um, that we should take advantage of. And so I think more than anything, it's workforce development um, while also looking certainly at policy on taxes and regulations. Uh, Representative Gonzalez, the question of economic development. So I agree in the idea that we need to have workforce development. But I say that is not enough. Once they're developed, once they have the skills, one thing that they're going to need is the actual job. And how do we get those jobs here? For the past two weeks, I've actually been visiting a number of union training sites and learning about their unique apprenticeship programs that they have where somebody can start right from day one earning $14, $17 an hour, learn those skills that they need on that job and come out with guaranteed jobs. And they can do this starting in high school. And I think that's something that we need to look at. Instead of giving these big tax credits to these Fortune 50 type of companies, we need to invest more on small business uh, businesses that are in our communities. Because you know what? If they're grown here, they're loyal here. They're not going to go anywhere if a tax credit is taken away. They'll be here, they'll raise their businesses here, and they will give more jobs to the community members that we have here. So as we look at developing that workforce, we also need to look at investing in the businesses that have said they want to put their roots right here in our community. All right, let me follow up with a question on that, Representative Gonzalez. Uh, you, you referenced uh, Fortune 50 companies or whatever the, the, the reference there was. Uh, one of the Fortune industries that is uh, booming in Georgia, and most would say as a result of tax policy, as a result of the type of tax cuts and incentives that you seem to be critical of there, uh, the movie industry in Georgia. If we're going to take away targeted tax benefits and incentives, uh, are we going to start with the movie industry? No, we're not going to start with the movie industry because it's an industry that's been here for 40 years. It's been homegrown here in Atlanta and throughout the state of Georgia. What I do think that we should stop looking at is things like trying to get Amazon here and giving them a $50 million credit when we could, in fact, be giving that to small businesses, over 500 of them, who can each give 10 to 20 jobs that will, in fact, stay here. Uh, Houston Gaines, uh, the question of targeted tax credits, tax incentives, uh, yes or no, or, or amend them in some way? Sure. Um, well, 
I think that you obviously have to look at it on a case-by-case -case basis. Ultimately, it comes down to return on investment. Um, and certainly, you know, when you talk about areas where we might be able to cut the state budget, uh, that is a place when you look at, at tax credits and tax incentives that we're offering. Uh, but there are also certainly great opportunities. Um, the film tax credit, um, is, is, it, when, when you're looking at a particular tax credit, it certainly doesn't need to benefit one particular uh, business or one particular corporation. It needs to be something that's spread across an industry. I think that um, it, it's something that has brought uh, certainly a lot of business to the state of Georgia. A lot of, uh, in fact, there was just some, uh, a movie I was uh, following on Twitter that was uh, actually filmed at the state capitol. Um, and so there are uh, unique opportunities, but they do need to be spread, um, not, not in particular uh, favoring one business or one corporation, but um, spread across an industry. But on the whole, I think that we should be looking at getting rid of more um, incentives and, and trying to lower taxes for everybody instead of favoring one person or one business over the other. A uh, question for Houston Gaines and, and Representative Gonzalez. You'll have the opportunity to answer this as well. Uh, and this from our audience. Do you support uh, illegal immigrants, uh, students in this state, undocumented students? Do you support them getting uh, Hope College scholarships? And I'll expand on that question. Do you support them paying in-state tuition? I do not support um, uh, illegal immigrants getting uh, uh, Hope Scholarship. I do not think that that is something uh, when we have hardworking Georgians um, that, that deserve uh, and have, have worked, uh, paid taxes, um, the cost, you know, and if that's something that my opponent does support, I mean, are you going to take that away from Georgians? Um, so I, I, that is not something that I would support, uh, nor would I support in-state tuition uh, for, for um, an illegal immigrant. Representative Gonzalez. So my viewpoint is that people have two ways of looking at economics. Either you have one pie and that's all you have. And if I take more, you can't have it. Or if somebody takes more, they can't have it. Or you can look at it that that pie actually gets bigger the more people that become part of what's going on. These individuals that we're speaking about were brought here since they were young, they know no other country than this one. They contribute, they do pay taxes. And so I don't see why it is wrong if they meet all the other requirements for these kinds of scholarships that they'll be in and be able to take advantage of it. But I'll go one step further. I believe that we need to look at higher education and create debt-free education for everybody that we can and the reason for that is right now student loan debt is the biggest burden that people carry with them 20 30 years from from graduating they are still carrying that debt and that means that that money that is held up mainly in interest, not even the principal that they're paying, but held up in interest is why they cannot pay rent, why they cannot pay health care, why they cannot pay cars, and why they cannot do the other things that they need to do to thrive in this community. All right, what would you do about that? What would you do about student debt? Well, first of all, one of the things that I would do is look again at who is getting the HOPE scholarship. I would love it to return back to the needs base that it was originally created for. Right now, just because you have A's, you get it, even if you can afford it. When we have so many students who do very good work, but they just can't afford it. If I visit the University of North Georgia and there is a food pantry there and the food pantry is not just for students but it is for faculty and staff, my question to that 
president of that university was, don't you think something's wrong if your faculty and staff have to use a food pantry? and they're putting it just because it's for students, we need to look, if we need to invest in people, and that's what all these budget questions come down to. It's about investing in people and investing in our future so that when they get to the point where they need to be, they can then invest back into others in our community. All right, I do want to follow up, though, before we get to Houston Gaines and his response, because... I, I don't know that I necessarily heard an answer there. You, you spoke about maybe you're talking about things you could do with Hope Scholarship that would prevent students from going into debt. My question was aimed at the or directed to the students who are in debt now or the people who are not in college graduates who are still in debt. Uh, what, if anything, is to be done for them? I think we should have loan forgiveness for them. Houston Gaines, uh, the same topic. <laughs> I guess I got to start standing. It's getting exciting. Um, I don't know how you pay for. I mean that debt free for everybody. Um, I would be really interested and entertained to to learn how you pay for something like that. Um, I mean that is that that is one of the. I mean, and a long laundry list of ex, of expensive programs. I mean something else that 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 my opponent supports is Medicare for all at the state level, uh, which is probably triple, quadruple our state budget. Um, I mean, that I, I don't know how, how you pay for these sort of proposals, but that is absolutely not something uh, that I would support. I mean, when I will go back to the needs-based aid on Hope Scholarship. That is something that I do think we should look at as a state. Uh, but we can't, we can't go back on what's made higher education in Georgia great, uh, which has been the Hope Scholarship. I mean, it gave me a unique opportunity to go to the University of Georgia. It keeps great students in the state. Um, it's made higher education uh, terrific. I mean, you look at the, the rankings of the University of Georgia, why are we moving up so far? A, a large part of it is because of the Hope Scholarship. Why is it becoming so competitive to get into UGA? That's a big component of it. Um, but I would love to look at needs-based aid. I think that's a great Does that mean, I'm sorry, does that mean means testing? You said needs-based. You mean means testing? Well, yeah. I mean, you would have to look at, that's right. I mean, you, you would. Um, I, I do think, though, first we have to preserve and protect the Hope Scholarship as it is now. Um, and then you could look at something like needs-based aid. I think that that everybody in the General Assembly would love to look towards some program like that. All right. You mentioned you went there. Let's go hear some more. Uh, Medicaid expansion. You're critical of her support uh, for A, Medicaid expansion, and, and B, so-called Medicaid or Medicare for all. Uh, your views on all this. Sure. Well, I mean, first off, uh, Medicaid in general, a lot of physicians won't even take uh, Medicaid patients because it doesn't, it barely even covers cost. Um, and so you're expanding care. Uh, that is not something that is that is already working. And so why would you want to expand a program that is not uh, already benefiting uh, its recipients? A third of the people that would be um, that would that would get Medicaid under Medicaid expansion already have private health insurance. So if the goal is to uh, expand private health insurance or to expand insurance coverage, a third of those people already have that coverage. The two million people who are already on it are not receiving great. Uh, fr frankly, are not receiving great care. I think that there's, uh, and when you start looking at adding 500, 600,000 people to Medicaid rolls, you're going to blow up a system uh, that's already struggling. And so I think that is uh, not the solution we should be looking at. When you look at potential waiver programs that the federal administration has encouraged, we look at Georgia-centric program, uh, that might be something that, that, that makes sense. But a full wholesale med Medicaid expansion is something that uh, does not make sense, in my opinion. Uh, Representative Gonzalez. So I am proud to advocate for Medicaid expansion. I was one of the co-signers of a bill this legislative session to expand it. And it's a simple question for me of the idea of math. 
Right now, they say that, um, or one of the arguments that they'll use against it is that it will cost us about $39 trillion within the next 10 years. Now that's at the federal level. That's at the federal level. But currently, and it is the federal that we would be getting 90% of the money for this. Well, currently, if we do nothing, if we just keep the system that we have right now, it will actually cost us $49 trillion in those same 10 years. So every day we leave over $8 million on the table. And as Don said that money is going to other states. It does not go back to the federal government. It goes out to other states when it could be helping our people. Very simple. If you don't have healthy people, you don't have business. You don't have productivity. You don't have education. You don't have anything because people end up dying. And dead people can't run your society. So we need to go and make sure that people are healthy. My true vision would love to go back to what is the core problem because insurance is about payment. Let's go back and study why is it so expensive, this healthcare? Why are we paying $161 for a Band-Aid in the ER when I can get a pack of them for 99 cents at the dollar store? Why aren't we having that conversation instead of who's going to pay the insurance bill? Uh, something that... Uh Something that has not come up yet. I want to get to this quickly. Uh, thoughts on transportation, uh, by which we usually mean, how do you get me back and forth to Atlanta faster? Uh, what do we do, if anything, about improving, enhancing transportation uh, regionally, locally? Uh, Representative Gonzalez, we'll start with you. Yeah, well, one of the things we did in this legislative session was the transit bill. And it was very interesting to me to be able to meet with the actual chairman of transportation, Representative Tanner, and learn about his thoughts with this bill. One of the reasons I supported that bill was because Chairman Tanner was laying out his idea that this wasn't just about Metro Atlanta, but that in fact, this was going to become a, a sort of like a blueprint so that then we can reach out to other urban centers, including Athens and that 316 drive. Now, when I first went in, one of the things that people kept talking about was this brain train. Why don't we have a rail system between Athens and Atlanta? So I went to the Legislative Council and I said, has this ever been done? Has it been talked about? Well, actually it was. In 2006, there was a study. There was actually money budgeted aside to do this. But what failed was the idea that we could not get the right of ways to actually make it happen. From 2006 to 2018, a lot of time has passed and the cost for that has definitely come up. So instead, what we started talking about was alternative measures. If we can't use a train, can we use autonomous vehicles? Can we make it a way that people are not there lessening the number of cars that we have there, but still getting people to where they need to be in a safe way? By autonomous, you mean the kind that drive themselves? Yes. Okay. Uh, Houston Gaines. Well, I, I mean, there's no doubt in this district, uh, you have 316, which goes through Clark, Oconee, and Barrow. Uh, you have 78 major corridors um, that, are, that are located within this district, and certainly something uh, I think we've all seen 316 to be a challenge. Um, and, and the reason it was the process was sped up was for the Olympics, and I think there's uh, certainly we're going to face the cost of that now. Uh, we're already seeing some of the work being done to try to make it a limited access corridor, which is what it should have been um, originally. Uh, but on transportation in general, I think you look at 
uh, what happened when the bridge collapsed uh, on I-85. You incentivize the private sector, and, and all of a sudden, um, you, you, see a you see it built back um, in record speed time. And so I think that is where we should look tra on transit in general, is incentivizing the private sector, uh, because that's where uh, the best work is done. So um, I think there's real opportunity, as again, going back to locally, I mean, we talk about 78, 316, really, in particular on 316. Um, there are plans already moving forward, uh, but in the state house, that would certainly be a top priority of mine. Uh, get those projects moving so that we can ensure safety for everybody. Uh, she referenced the train. Where would you be on the train? I, I'm not. Again, I would go back to how do, how do you pay for it and what would it look like. Um, I, I think that sure, if if it paid for itself by by individuals uh, using it, that might be something that is it for consideration. Uh, but I, I don't know that how you would fund that project. Um, and I don't know exactly what it would look like, uh, but I'm not, it's not something I would say no, uh, but I, I would have to see a lot more specifics. On uh, Representative Gonzalez, how would you pay for it? I hate to keep asking that question, but it kind of matters. How, how would you pay for it? <laughs> Let's go back to the budget process. And it was interesting as you were talking to the other candidates, you know, where would we cut? I have a great example of something that we could have cut. Why are we funding a fishing museum in Perry, Georgia? And we are on the hook for that until 2027. See, I see what you did there, fishing and on the hook. I got that. Got Even that, if right? they didn't, I got you that. You got it. Yeah, okay, got it. we're on the same page. I did that just for you, <laughs> uh, by you. the way. But the idea is there are these little pieces of our funds that are going into things that truly, you know what? The government shouldn't be involved in that. That was one of them. We gave $5 million to the Georgia Aquarium so that they can upgrade a tank. You know, the Georgia Aquarium makes a lot of money in their galas from private citizens. They should not be taking $5 million that can actually be used to transportation in our schools, okay? Because right now the school boards have come to me three out of six that I represent in this district to tell me that one of the biggest problems they have in education is that they don't have funding for transportation. They don't have funding to pay the bus drivers. They don't have funding to pay for the gas. How are they going to do that? So what do they do? They take money instead of hiring another teacher, they go and they pay for the gas and the bus drivers. If we can give them that $5 million for transportation, we can have more teachers in the classroom. So it's where you put your money is where your priority is. We have to start really getting down and dirty into that budget and moving things where they need to be. All right, uh, Representative Gonzalez. Thank you. Um, 90 seconds for a closing statement and as we same as we've done throughout the evening as we hear the closing statements from these two if we could get the next set of candidates to slide in over here and then slide in here uh representative wallace i see you out here marcus uh, Weedauer up there if y'all could just slide down here representative gonzalez 90 seconds for a closing statement please thank you so much and thank you again to everybody who was here i really appreciate it i know i also just want a special thank you for all of you who smile back at us it's very nerve-wracking <laughs> up here sometimes and seeing you guys smile is really a cool thing to do for us because at the end of the day we're people and that's what i've always run on that i was going to be the people's representative and i am very proud that at the people's house that is exactly 
what I represent. I'm out there in the community just about every day, sometimes in three, four different events that you see me. There's usually not an invitation that I will turn down if I can be there. Why? Because I can't do my job as your representative unless I hear from you, the people, unless I know what are the issues that's concerning of you. Everyday struggles, not these big hypothetical conceptual things, but the things that affect you every Every day in your life, like getting food on the table, your kids to school, and making sure that you can be healthy and get to a doctor's office and not have to ration insulin because you can't pay the insurance and end up with somebody that you love not being with you. And so I thank you for the honor that you gave me when you elected me in November, and I ask that you do it again this November. And what I promise is my commitment to continue to work as hard as I have this year for you for as long as I serve. Thank, Thank you, you very much, Representative Deborah Gonzalez. And Houston Gaines. Houston Gaines, a 90-second closing statement from you, sir. Great. Well, that was way too quick. That, that, that flew by. Uh, we've, as, as, as my opponent said, we've already had two forums, um, and so this has a great, been a great another opportunity to showcase uh, the differences between us. Um, I wish we could have had the opportunity to talk even longer and get into some of the more uh, clear contrasts that you have and the choice on your ballot in November. It couldn't be clear. Um, as I said on the onset, um, you do have someone who has been in the General Assembly for a year, uh, frankly has not passed a single piece of legislation, has not been a part of these meaningful pieces that piece of legislation that passed over last year, like fully funding our public schools, the adoption bill. Um, there's a lot of great things happening at the General Assembly, uh, but we need someone who's in those conversations that's going to actually go and fight and make a difference and, and really be there for, for, for our citizens. Even if you disagree with me on some, on, on some politics, uh, which certainly a lot of people in Athens will, um, that's okay. Uh, that's all right. What I want to do is go and fight uh, for, for real, meaningful solutions and change uh, because I believe this district deserves it. As I said from the beginning, I'm, I've been here my whole life, uh, third generation Athenian. And I truly believe this is, this is a special place that deserves a leader who is going to go and fight for you. And so even if I can't earn your vote on November 6th, uh, I hope that I'll have the opportunity to serve you on November 7th uh, and, and earn your trust over the course of our, of our first term. So thank you so much for having us, and I would be honored and humbled to have your vote this November. All right, Houston Gaines, Representative Deborah Gonzalez, thank you very much. We've got uh, Marcus Wiedauer and Jonathan Wallace up here. Again, a reminder for the radio audience, we have about 20 minutes, uh, 23 minutes to be precise, to wrap things up down here. Uh, again, we're at Piedmont Athens Regional Medical Center uh, with the candidates who are seeking office in an election that is today 26 days away. We'll wrap things up uh, with the incumbent, the Democrat Jonathan Wallace, his Republican challenger. I never remember numbers. You guys are House District 119. I think I'm right about that. Uh, the two of them uh, running in this particular seat. They're getting some final instructions from David Bradley, the Athens Area Chamber of Commerce president. And once that's out of the way, we will wrap up uh, by getting opening statements from the two of these gentlemen, and then uh, we'll get into some questioning. We'll start with the opening statements.
statements. Again, a reminder that uh, you folks in the audience can contribute to the questioning. You have already. Uh, find somebody who's walking around with index cards. Fill them out. Uh, get them up Thank here, you. and we'll uh, get to as many as we can. There's a. I got a big stack here. I won't get to a fraction of them. If you wrote, filled out one of these cards, did not get your question answered, feel free to grab these candidates uh, as they linger uh, after we're done here in just a few minutes. I'm sure they would love to talk with you. With that, uh, we'll start with our opening statements. Again, 90 seconds. Keep your eye on David Bradley down front. Uh, he has cards, and he'll tell you when to wrap it up. Marcus Weedauer, 90 seconds for an opening statement. Good evening. Um, I'm Marcus Weedauer, uh, obviously the Republican nominee for Georgia State House District 119. Um, like many of you in this audience, um, my whole life is here. Uh, came to school here. Uh, my wife, Kelly, and I are raising three children here. Uh, I've started my business here. Ran that for the last almost 20 years. Um, I wanted, those experiences have prepared me to go down to Atlanta and represent you and the values uh, this community holds uh, dear to their heart. Uh, I've been in the community, uh, obviously, a lot lately, talking to every voter I can uh, get in front of. Uh, one of the biggest things uh, is, is lowering health care costs. Um, that's something that is absolutely near and dear to my heart. Um, my wife is a stage four colon cancer survivor. And I know what it was like at 25 with a young child at home to, to think about all the expenses that was incurring and to see what has happened with, with health care costs over, over the last 16 years since she's been cancer free. I, I understand how, how, how that can be a breaking point emotionally and financially for so many families. Um, like many of you parents in the room, um, I want what you want in education. Uh, we have got to put more and more uh, dollars in the classroom to make sure every child in Georgia gets a quality education. Um, again, like I said, my opening, my, my whole life is here. Um, I look to go down to Atlanta, represent your value, values, keep your hard-earned tax dollars in your pocket, and give you a government that treats you with respect. Representative Jonathan Wallace, 90-second opening statement. First off, I want to thank everybody who put together this event. Thanks to the athens Clark County Chamber, the Oconee Chamber, and Piedmont Regional for hosting us. I really appreciate all of your time for coming out here. My name is Jonathan Wallace. I'm a husband, a father of three, a soccer coach, an elder at my church, and by trade, I'm a software developer. Uh, I've lived in the Athens area for the last 20, over 20 years and lived in, in Oconee for the last eight years. Uh, I've also had the honor of being your representative for the last year, and it's been an incredible one. And I really thank every one of you for giving me that honor, and I really appreciate representing you at the State House. Uh, there's a couple of things that I was able to work on at the State House, and there's some, thing, some work that's still yet left to be done. The first thing uh, is health care. It's, again, something that I also, when I've been out knocking on doors and spoken to folks, has been the number one issue that I've heard from most folks. Access to health care. There's hundreds of thousands of Georgians without, and that impacts every one of us, those with it, with it and those without. Education. We were able to fully fund education for the first time since 2002. That's fantastic. That sounds great on paper, fully fund. Those are words that really warm your heart. However, the formula that we used for that was established in 1985. So it's past time. We've had previous governors who've, who've stepped up and said they want to make a change there. It's time for us to revisit that. Finally, job creation. My background is in tech. I've been working in the area of tech for the last 20 years, and we've seen that we have a negative 2% unemployment in the state of Georgia and software technology, and so that's something else that I'd like to bring to the state capitol. Thank you very All much. All right. Uh, go ahead, and we'll, we'll give you the first question, Representative Wallace. And this will sound like I'm trying to be flip or I'm trying to be funny. That would be unlike me. I'm, I'm, not, trying to, I'm not trying to be that at all. But this, we've, we've talked about health care all night. 
I swear I thought we fixed that back in 2010. I was told we did. What, what happened? Uh, that's a great question. Thank you very much. The big issue that we've had with healthcare is that we've left over uh, $32 billion on the table since 2012 with the, the uh, passage of the Affordable Care Act. And when we talk about that, that's $8 million a day that we've left on the table. And in fact, at the end of the day, there are $8 million that we've paid into as Georgians that we're not seeing. It's gone to other states, as other uh, folks have mentioned earlier in the evening. This is an issue that's affecting us right now. We know that one of the hospitals in this area wrote off over $25 million in engineered care. Where do you think that cost ends up? If they're writing off those costs, it's being borne by everyone else who already has healthcare access and it's making the cost go higher. So one of the things that we made a mistake in doing at the state capitol is we did not choose to expand Medicaid when we had the opportunity. Health insurance works best when we have a strong growing tax base and the way that we get that is by investing in our people and making sure that those folks have the healthcare that they need so that they can be productive entrepreneurs, uh, employees, husbands, wives, fathers. These things are, don't happen if they don't have good health. It's incredibly important that we expand Medicaid. It's the single simplest, uh, uh, the simplest single step that we could take to have an immediate impact on the state of Georgia. And we've had over seven rural hospitals closed in the last. We've had seven rural hospitals closed in the last five years, and this means this has decimated our rural portions of our state. And when I'm there for the state, I'm I, I'm not just there for the district. I'm for the whole state as a whole. And this is something that we have to address. Uh, Marcus Weedauer. Um. As I said in my opening, I mean, I, I think we can all agree. I mean, the rising health care costs is, is it's abominable. We all have to come together, come to the table and find ways. Uh, making a simple decision is not necessarily the right decision. Okay, we, we, we're, our country is built on innovative principles of the private market. Okay, we need to in, infuse those into the health care market. Uh, we do not need government to step in and try to fix that for us. It has not worked thus far. Um, we need to um, we need to get creative. We need to consider uh, direct uh, doctor to patient building. Um, this uh, earlier this evening, somebody talked about how how ridiculous some of the costs are administratively. Um, that is that is one way to get that out of the way. Doctor to patient building. Um, secondly, in, incentivize. Uh, we've we've heard that word several times tonight. Um, incentivize doctors to treat these patients that don't have health care insurance, that have that are lower income. Incentivize them in a manner that uh, that that brings those people to the table. I mean, let me quickly say incentivize how? I mean, you incentivize anyone in the private sector by paying them for their service. How would you incentivize doctors to provide a service for which they're not going to be paid? Well, like we said, they're, they're not getting paid on Medicaid right now either. You know, they're, they're, they're not getting paid for the services they provide. So if they're able to streamline that where they can actually get their services paid for at a rate that, they're, that everybody's happy with, then they're going to be more apt to serve those people that aren't, on, uh, that aren't getting those services. And you wanted a rebuttal, Mr. Wallace? Yes, please. Um, this is such a large topic. There's so much to say. Right now in the state of Georgia, Medicaid pays around 85% of costs. And, and so that's a big challenge. But there are folks, there are, are, are in, uh, uh, niche uh, providers who have found ways to make that effective and work. And the, one of the things that had been mentioned earlier that I'd like to highlight again is the overhead cost. The overhead cost for Medicaid is 2%. In the private industry, it's about 10%. And when I've spoken to healthcare providers, one of the things that they've highlighted is how much of their time is spent on administrative work. If they spend 40 to 50% of their time on fighting the insurance companies to make sure that the, the, 
that the decisions that they've made in your best interest, the tests that they may ask for, are taken care of and done, if they're fighting back there fighting for you, that's not time that they're providing care for other folks. And that's one of the inefficiencies. I would be all for what my opponent just said. If we were in a, state, in a situation where we had a transparent market with accountability, but unfortunately we're not there. And so we have to take steps that are outside of the norm of what I might advocate for because it is so broken. And it's broken for every one of us and something that we all acknowledge. Thank you. You know, this... Um this uh, this falls into the category of being absolutely none of my business, but I noted one thing that the two of you had in common. You said you're both fathers of three children. How do either of you have time to do this? <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> I think you're going to get very similar answers, only with the grace of our family. Uh, it, is, it is incredibly challenging to be a representative, and I've, uh, I've shared this in, in, in confidence with uh, my opponent that you have to be a little, you have to have a little screw that's a little loose to, to take on this <laughs> challenge uh, because it's a part time job with full time responsibility. So that's a great question. Marcus Weedauer. Yeah, I mean, I'll echo the same sentiment. Uh, it, it, you know, Jonathan and I have talked about that. Uh, this is a, it's an incredible uh, undertaking for for people of our peer group to to go under but i think it's uh, extremely important for uh, people our age who can get caught up in soccer games and 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 all the things that uh, are very 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 important right now in our lives um but we can we come out of that stage and we can lose focus of that but yes we do that because uh, an incredible wife that is uh taking care of uh three children right now and uh, and a very supportive family a uh, question about education, and we'll talk about education funding for a moment. Uh, the, the audience member asked the question, how can we put money, uh, education money, back into classrooms? I, and I think they mean specifically into the classroom, not so much administration in other places. Marcus Wiedauer, the question of education funding. Well, I mean, as I continue to say, um, and I know the specific question is putting in the classroom, where that comes from is, um, I, I agree, it was a great thing that QBE got funded this year. It is an outdated formula. It is something we need to continue to look at. We need to continue to look at how, how those dollars are being spent on buildings, how those dollars are being spent on so, uh, so many other things that we can be pulling away from to put, the, uh, put those actually in the classrooms where the teachers actually need the dollars. Um, that's, thank you. Uh, Jonathan Wallace, Representative Wallace. Thank you. Um, you know, one of the, we, we've, we've talked about uh, visiting that. One of the issues is to make sure that our public dollars are going to our public schools. I would like to see that happen. And if we do that, when we make sure that our schools are fully funded, we find that their resources are there. We, you know, a number of folks have mentioned that is how we define our priorities. And I'll, I'll take a little bit of a, of a side turn around this. When we decided to start the uh, Hope Scholarship Program, I remember that uh, starting at the time. I remember hearing about that as a, as a young high school student and thought about the impact that that might have on my life. Uh, and we know that it was a, a sound investment. We've seen the, the, the great gains that have been achieved in the state. Um, so when we talk about making sure that we are funding our education, it's a top priority for me. I would like to make sure that we're making, when we're investing, we're investing wisely. Uh, one of the things that I would like us to do is to fully fund our pre-K programs. We know that every dollar that's invested at a young age pays back seven, eight, nine fold. And if our children are reading at a third grade uh, level when they're at the third grade, uh, then their outcomes of their chances of being successful in life are drastically improved. So when we talk about how we can Im improve the funds that go to the classroom, it's revisiting the formula that we use to fund our schools. And it's making sure that the dollars that you pay into when you're, when you're generating taxes are going to our public schools. All right, let me, because you, you, you triggered something in me with your answer there, let me ask a follow-up. Uh, what I heard you say, and I don't want to misspeak or, or misstate your position, you said public dollars into public schools. What I heard was no vouchers. 
Did I, is that essentially what you're saying? Uh, yeah, that's 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 a correct statement. I, I'm not a fan of vouchers. I uh, I've shared this story not in a public setting before, but I had the opportunity to go to the youth assembly, which is a sort of a mock legislature uh, experience as an 11th grader, and that was one of the bills that I helped defeat in 1995 at the youth legislature was a school voucher program. <laughs> and I found that I haven't really moved very much on that on that position, and and the reason why is because uh, when we start throwing public dollars at private institutions, uh, we, we, uh, this, this, we have to make sure that we're sticking to the same standards, the same values that we have. And I have a deep concern that, that we're, we're not doing that. And then the other thing is, uh, what I've seen in my experience is that the private school movement has been uh, is, is a little bit of a shell game where uh, the, we have not seen the outcomes in other places where they have tried these experiments. Um, and, and, and so there's, no, there's uh, some value in having a charter school program where we can experiment with our uh, educational pedagogy and our techniques, uh, but we've gone too far in that direction and we're throwing a lot of money at private institutions and I think that's hurting the rest of the students who, are, who do not have those opportunities. You know, I, um, I, uh, I, I was in that same mock legislature also as an 11th grader. Uh, we dealt with things like longer recesses. We were not nearly <laughs> as, as serious as you folks seem to be. Marcus Weedauer, the question of vouchers. So uh, where I get hung up on this is we need to make sure that kids aren't banned or aren't falling through the cracks, okay? I agree. We need to keep every public dollar in public schools. I have no issue with that, Sarah. I agree with it. The problem I have is there are kids that are in our public schools, such as I, I have several friends who have dyslex, dys, dyslexic children, okay? This is a real problem. It's a real problem that they don't have access to help with in the school system, okay? I know there's a school in Lawrenceville. It's got room for 40 children. 30 of those children are from Oconee County. That is not because Oconee County has a bigger problem with dyslexia than anywhere else in the state. It's because they do happen to have some affluency where those parents can afford for their children to go there. I believe that those types of children, those types of situations, we need to provide the opportunity for those, those people to have the ability to get an education that they need. This was an issue earlier in the evening uh, with a couple of the Senate candidates. I want to, I want to circle back to it. Uh, the question of voting machines and voter security, the elections that will start with the early voting on Monday. As a matter of fact, the elections is already underway with the absentee voting. And it's been my observation, uh, Jonathan Wallace, Representative Wallace, will start with you. We spend so much time talking about those darn machines. Uh, there are those who will suggest that the machines themselves are actually, to the extent that they're problematic, they're less the soft underbelly of the election system that things like voter registration and absentee voting. Uh, first of all, do you uh, agree with the premise? And second of all, what to do about it? Yeah, I think uh, there's, a, there's a numerous challenges uh, that affect uh, our voting systems. Number one, voting is an incredibly complex process. We want to preserve your ability to vote in anonymity. Excuse me, anonymity. Uh, we, and so to do that, it takes a lot of work. But the issue, and I was railing against this as a college student uh, when I saw the news come out that the state of Georgia was going for DRE machines, which are the direct recording electronic machines that we have today. Uh, those are inherently insecure. We know that you can, re when they're being programmed, that they can be programmed with viruses that are undetectable. Uh, the, the bigger problem is that we have had a lack of protection around the central infrastructure in the state. And that information was exposed, uh, unfortunately, for uh, an extended period of time. Is that the, the, the main there at Kennesaw. Yeah, this is the, 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 the Center for Election Security at Kennesaw State. And the issue, the issue that we have right now is without paper ballots, we cannot know that the tallies that we see are, are correct. 
because there's no way to check. And the beautiful thing about software and technology is that you can change information quickly and easily. It's got its pluses and it's got its minuses. It's a tool that can be used for good or for, for ill. And when you have technology like that, you have to make sure that it's working correctly. And the only way to do that is to have paper ballots and to have risk-limiting audits that occur on a random basis for some small percentage of our, of our elections. So we're talking maybe 1%, 2%, 2.5%. There's a magic number there that the statisticians know that we can, that can establish that confidence. Without those paper ballots, we do not have the confidence that we need to in our voting system. Do you mean quickly, and then very quickly, because we're up against it here, sure. do you mean uh, strictly paper ballots, or, or as was used down in Conyers in a pilot program, the electronic machine with the paper backup? Uh, it, 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 we, we need hand-marked paper ballots, and I know that there's problems that come along with that, and I, I'm happy to, to speak to that later. All right, uh, Marcus Weedauer. Um, well, I'll say first and foremost, um, I've competed in very various things throughout my entire life, and uh, election is one of them. I have, I have no problem with competition. I want every single American citizen to, to be registered and to vote, period. And I will, I will, I will, never, I will never stand in the way of that. Now, how we get to that and how we afford updating machines, I mean, everything has to be updated. These machines haven't been updated in quite a while. Clearly, they need to be updated. How we get to that and exactly the means, I'm not an expert in that. Um, on the surface, for me, um, you know, living in the, the year that we're living in, um, to, to go to paper ballots seems extremely inefficient. Um, it, I may be proven wrong. But in my, in my estimate, I would believe that uh, an, an electronic machine with a paper backup would be more, more likely the way to go. Closing statements. I'm sorry, you, quickly, if you want to yeah, rebut. Yeah, just uh, one of the things I actually, I actually, this is a position that I moved on, um, and there was a, a, an event earlier in the summer that I attended where some folks were asking about this very issue, and I shared my concerns that I might be open to an electronically marked device, and I think that there's some room for, for that in the case of folks who need access to the polls, uh, maybe because they have some type of uh, disability that prevents them from hand-marking it on their own. Uh, but with that said, uh, one of the things that I did learn uh, in, in, being, in educating myself about this issue is that it is possible when you use uh, optical scanners to infect those machines via what's in the optical scanner. And so that becomes another vector. Anytime you have an input system into the machines, we have to make sure that that input vector is uh, properly secured. And so because of that and, and recognizing that, that vulnerability, that's where I've moved to being uh, a supporter of handmarked paper ballots. All right. Uh, very quickly, because we're up against it, 90 seconds for closing statements each. I will start with you, Marcus Wiedauer. Um, just real quick, th thank you for both chambers for hosting this event, certainly. Uh, Tim, thank you for moderating. Thank you for all, all of you for being here. Um, uh, as I said in my opening, uh, my, my life is here. My, this is my community. I am going to be here. I want to go to Atlanta. I want to represent your valley, values. I want to find a way to get health care costs down. I want to keep tax dollars in your pocket. Okay, um, uh, Senator Ginn and I have joked about this because I was fortunate enough to go before him once before and he told me I stole his line. But my phone number is 706-254-3251. It is on every printed piece of material I put out. It is on our website. It is on our Facebook page. It is right here in my pocket, although I did silence it. Um, <laughs> please call me. Um, if, I am fortunate enough, if I am fortunate enough to be your representative, I am not deaf ears to you. I will be here for you, I will answer your call, and I will hear what you have to say. On November 6th, I hope to have your vote. Thank you very much. I am not giving you people my phone number. Um, Jonathan Wallace, Representative Wallace. 
Um, thanks again, again to the Athens uh, Clark County Chamber, to the Oconee Chamber, to Piedmont, uh, to our moderator, and to all the all of you, and uh, to all the candidates who showed up. I think when we talk about uh, our our country and the values that we share, uh, democracy, freedom is what we're talking about, and we have that freedom to make a choice between uh, the individuals who are standing before you asking for your vote. When I think about my experience in the last year being your representative, I am just absolutely humbled, and that word does not even get close to covering what it means to be your representative. It has been an, an, an experience of service, and it's one that I'd like to continue. I found myself uh, moved to tears in discussions with you. I've found myself extremely proud of the work that I've, uh, the people that I've met who are doing work to better their communities, and I want to continue to be a part of that as your representative. I would like to be the person who's representing you, the uh, interest to make 119 the best district in the state of Georgia that it can be, as well as making Georgia work for all Georgians. Again, thank you very much. My name is Jonathan Wallace, and I appreciate having your vote on November 6th. Let's again thank all of these candidates. <laughs> Uh, Marcus Wiedauer and Representative Jonathan Wallace there. Uh, before that, we heard from Representative uh, Deborah Gonzalez, her challenger Houston Gaines, and the Senate hopefuls this evening of Senator Frank Ginn, his challenger Don Johnson, and uh, uh, Mary Sue Hilliard, and John Fortune from earlier in the evening. Thanks again to everybody who came out tonight. Thanks again to our host, the Athens Area Chamber of Commerce, David Bradley, the president, with us this evening. I've seen uh, Chuck Tony and Tammy Gilliard from the Oconee County Chamber of Commerce. Thanks to everybody who came out this evening. Thanks to our host, Piedmont. Athens Regional Medical Center. Early voting starting Monday of next week, Election Day itself on November 6th. I'm Tim Bryant, WGAU. Yeah, we're good. This is 98.7 FM and AM 1340, WGAU and W254 CJ Athens, a Cox Media Group station.